G'day, welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch, host and producer. First of three feature guests that relate in some way to musical theatre. Today, Charlie Oakley is a performer, singer, songwriter with a debut album just released as well. Next time, Benjamin Mayo McKay, the director of the Adelaide production Rent, will be our guest. They're doing a season at the Queen's Theatre throughout October. And then we head to the Northern Hemisphere to catch up with Tara Macri, who's performed a long season of Hairspray on Broadway, and also at the Hollywood Bowl with Nick Jonas and John Stamos. Man has a brand new single, Waking Up in California, to have a chat with us about. First, our feature guests for today. With a piano jazz bar lick to start, Distance After Hours reflects on a deeper soul of their cut Keep Your Distance Where You Can, which has found its way onto Charlie Oakley's debut album Yelling Sh- at the Universe. That also features the standout singles Living, Dying and the driving pop goldness of Independent or Lonely. On the day of the second anniversary of their debut single, June, Charlie joined Radio Notes from their home in Queensland for this chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you so much. Troublesome twos, how has this bub been in your musical (laughs) repertoire? The bub has definitely come from humble beginnings, I think. It's so funny. So many people have connected to that song. And I I put it out when I was in year 12 in lockdown in Melbourne. And it's so beautiful to have that there, especially it turning two today. Happy birthday that I can see my progress with the album from that beginning. It's very beautiful, yeah. It seems to have a bit of a space theme about it or otherworldly. <laughs> believe you believe in aliens. Are you, are you, a ma- are you more a, um, a moulder than a scully? Look, I think I believe in angels more than I believe in aliens. But you know what? I definitely think there's life out there. But I definitely do have – it's funny you say that. There definitely is a kind of existential – like universe kind of vibe of my work. I very much enjoy talking about our world as more than just the earth, the moon and the stars. It's very, I find it very healing and connective to have that theme in my work. And the artwork for June very much draws us into that as well. Absolutely. I think the artwork for music is so special. It's one of my favourite parts of getting a single and the album together, just connecting with people, getting them to make art. So cool. For the Keep Your Distance Where You Can, obviously that is a tap into the signage that was everywhere across transportation and inside banks even. Is that where you also get the inspiration for songwriting? Absolutely. And I think it was coming at a time where I was kind of sick of being on my phone and I was just like, look up. I'm always, I feel like you get on the train and everyone's just like head down on their phones doing whatever they want. And I looked up because I think... When you pay attention, the universe kind of gives you some answers to what's happening in your everyday life. And at that time, I was kind of struggling with setting boundaries in my day-to-day life and with myself. And I just looked at that sign. (laughs) I was like, yep, there it is. Because it can totally be interpreted, obviously, as a COVID safe sign, which is very important. But also just the emotional boundaries you need to set in order for yourself to remain in a healthy relationship with yourself and with the people around you. Were those boundaries hard to set for you because you see life as so limitless at this stage of your life? That is a brilliant way to put it. Yeah, probably. Because I feel as myself, I'm a very giving person and I 
look at people with such potential for growth, but sometimes you just have to set that boundary. You've got to draw the line. Something that you're quite passionate about, we'll speak, I think, a bit during this chat, is that of gratitude. But gratitude is very much about your response to how someone responds to you or what is happening to them. It's Mm -hmm. not a selfish thing, but a very self thing. Absolutely. It is such a massive part of my life and I think is the reason that I'm able to turn concepts that were potentially tender for me into things that have life and learning and wisdom in them. Everything we go through in our lives is just a lesson. And absolutely, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's so hard to see that. But having that gratitude, I think, translates itself into self-awareness, which is brilliant for songwriting because that's when you can kind of give that little finished product that's in a nice little bow and people can really listen to it and find themselves in the words. It's a bit broader, but where does acceptance fit into gratitude? Hmm. Do you mean in terms of for yourself? Hmm. It's funny, I've actually been thinking about it a lot this week in terms of acceptance for my body because I think I'm very it's very easy for me to find gratitude in my mind and in my soul, but for my body and I think a lot of um young people can identify with this dilemma as well, is that kind of body acceptance in especially in a world of social media where the expectations and that highlight reel we see is so far from what we feel and see in the mirror and I think acceptance is absolutely paramount for gratitude because there's so much out of our control and in order for us to truly revel in those moments of like unabashed joy but also in the moments where it's hard to be grateful that acceptance is like fundamental I think to be like this is happening to me and instead of seeing it as this is happening to me like what is happening for me I feel like is a better way to rephrase that and find more acceptance in that gratitude this is a slightly esoteric question but it's one that I want to ask you based upon what you've been saying there seems to be this disconnect between mind and body possibly Mm. for you, where I'm more of the old school of your body reflects what your mind is going through. Talk to me about how you interpret that. Mm. Well, I think what connects the two is like your soul, your spirit. I think mental health is the foundation for every kind of body expression that we have, whether it's sickness, whether it's injury, pain, you can find that and kind of massage that and heal it through your mind in a way because, like, our body stores so much trauma, so much everything. I was reading this book by Emily Stella Fletcher who created this program called Ziva Meditation and she was on Broadway and she was a swing, so that's a very difficult job and she was so stressed all the time and always getting injured and she was talking to someone who had, like, way more tracks than her to cover and she was so calm every single night and Emily was like how do you do this and she was like I meditate it's for my mind because if you don't click off she kind of used this image of like a computer with all these tabs open if you don't click off the tabs your computer's going to shut down and it's also trying to find the answer amongst those tabs it becomes such a whirlwind of confusion you mentioned a swing a swing is someone who covers different tracks or different roles in a show and that can be up to 20 in some shows but you can be called on at the drop of a hat 
mid-show, but you've got to be there all the time and you don't know who you're going on for, so you've got all of these roles rumbling around in your brain. So, yeah, it's a very stressful job, but people who are very good at it often have a lot of self-mastery in terms of their mind and their ability to manage their anxiety and stress and really get the job done. And it's a great analogy for what we were saying there regarding mm. tabs on a computer because you're backstage and at any point, as you stated, mm-hmm. you could be asked to know about tab number four and yep. that's going to tell you what this actor needs mm-hmm. to be doing at this very point. Absolutely. It's an incredible job. And I think if we take that analogy to our own everyday lives where you've got tabs with your kids or your family and your work and everything, it all piles up. And if we don't take control of that, if we don't shut down the computer every now and then and refresh the page, then of course, pain and sickness and expressions in our body are going to manifest themselves if we're not taking care of that and making sure that there's a new canvas for us to start our days with. But surely it's also important to have a place for those things to go so that you can find them when you need them in your mind and in your body. Definitely. And I think that's why, like, writing things down, I journal all the time. But I'm also aware that a lot of people don't feel like that's a viable thing for them to do, that they don't have time. But it's about finding ways to output and store things that you might need for later in a really healthy way. And whatever that is for you, whether that's cooking or cleaning, walking, dancing, like being able to shake it out of your body and put it into something else that you can do with love, I think is super beneficial. It's also, we should mention at this point, you're a qualified mental health first aid officer as Mm -hmm. well. So you've seen firsthand how these approaches that you're taking for yourself can actually mm-hmm. beneficial. Obviously, people should seek professional advice. We're just Absolutely. spitballing here some of the ideas yeah. that are going behind the songwriting process for you. Mm. That mental health first aid course, I, I did it with Mental Health First Aid Australia, and they were absolutely wonderful. And that program I did is actually curated and leans towards how we can support artists as well, which I think is super important because obviously we know that artists have been through so much in life, but also particularly in the last two and a bit years. I think that self-awareness that comes with returning to yourself and and letting yourself feel what you need to feel. I think for a while I was very invested in an overly positive mindset and mm. there was a time where it was almost like that term toxic positivity we throw around was very real and raw for me because I was getting upset at myself for being upset. I was like, why can't you just, just be happy? Just, just do it. But I have a lot more of a holistic approach to that now, which has also helped with my training because people just need to feel what they need to feel, know that they have the resources and help to reach out if they need to do that. But feelings are for feeling. That's why they're called feelings. As a songwriter, how do you use that journaling process to your benefit? Yeah. Often I've got this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. She's coined this term, the morning pages, which is three pages of freehand you do every morning. Being able to sit down in the morning and just write without judgment. And sometimes the most random stuff comes out, but in there, there are lyrics. And in there, you realize that you're feeling things that you didn't think you had the words for. I think a lot of people are afraid that they they don't have anything interesting to say, that um, 
for some reason their words aren't valid or worthy of being written on a piece of paper because it feels silly and it feels trivial and you could be doing other things. But humans are so creative, so creative. I often call them the muggles if they don't do <laughs> like, the creative arts that I'm involved in. But when I ask them, how are you feeling? Give me a metaphor. The things that people come up with are just beautiful. We are all so creative and we all have such power in expressing ourselves through words. And I think if people gave it a go, they'd be very surprised with themselves. How important are post-it notes to you? (gasps) So important. I'm a serial post-it notes person, but I've started putting up pages on my wall, like, because the post-it notes are too small now, and I call it my wall of wisdom. And anytime I hear anything that someone says where I'm like, that resonates, that like clicks in my body, or I see a sign or, or something like that, I just come home and write it on the wall. And then I feel like I'll just have a big book by the end of all these cool things that people have said. They're so important. I use them for everything. And post-it notes do get quite big. Those big I meeting post-it notice. notes. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to take a trip to office work. Yeah, just... Stick it on the wall. (laughs) Physically writing that hand, pen, paper communication where you can edit, but it's not as easy as just editing and deleting on a screen. How many times we've written something on a screen and gone, paragraph delete. Literally. And it's funny because I've started writing a lot of my song on my notes app in my phone and it just doesn't feel as, as truthful. I just put random lyrics and I just write them down on post notes. And I also going back to the tabs it feels like you're taking a little tab out of your mind putting it on the wall and it's done like you can kind of because I feel like sometimes if you sit with those thoughts for too long you lose them they get lost in translation and you can't even remember what your intention of writing whatever it was was in the first place Let's continue along that line, Chuck, with the idea of creativity as your soul and what you wish to do, because you're currently at the Queensland Conservatorium, which is no mean feat to be part of. (laughs) By the time this chat's gone out, you would have accomplished a season of 42nd Street, but at this stage, how how has that season been? It's been wonderful. It's a third year show, so I'm in first year at the Queensland Con. But everyone's a part of it, first, second, and third year. So the third year is headliner, and then we're all part of ensemble and doing all the things. But it is honestly incredible. Our director is Alistair Smith, who is currently directing Wedding Singer and Cruel Intentions in Australia, which is incredible that we get to work with him. And Dan Benz is our choreographer, who is just a genius. Um, but the process has been wonderful. We were in a tech rehearsal yesterday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. It was lovely. They're very long days, but what I've learned about professionalism and how crazy it is to put a show together is, yeah, it's been invaluable. We're talking about musical theatre. Growing Pains. Was this a production you were part of? Did you do music for? Yes. At the con, our first performance project was a devised piece under the direction of Claire Christian, who is an incredible mentor and human. She is love in a pocket. It's brilliant. Um, but we created this show about how difficult growing up is and how why life gets duller the older we get and how we can bring that joy back into our lives. And I wrote a song for it called Growing Pains, which I actually performed at the gig with some of my friends from the con who flew down to Melbourne, to Nam, which was so beautiful. 
but that writing of music theatre is something that I've been really interested in recently and being able to direct um, musically and theatrically has been really important and a really nice little curiosity that I've been dipping into. When we're talking about that, I guess looking back at childhood in a way in terms of that reconnection of childhood? Absolutely. Finding your inner child and how to play in our adult lives because there are so many moments if we just look up or if we choose connection, like what choice are we making? Are we closing the door or are we opening the door to joy and to love and goodness and inviting people in, calling people in? It's very, very special. And we're not just talking about couples tickling themselves in their 40s and 50s, although that (laughs) is a return to childhood, I think. Absolutely it is. Yeah, it's about resolving things with family, about hugging your best friends, about watching clouds and making funny shapes in the sky. It's about finding your favourite coffee spot. I'm just finding scenes from the show, but it was very, very beautiful. And it was based off of a play called Every Brilliant Thing by Duncan McMillan, which talks about gratitude. And that was kind of like our inspo for the piece. But it's really special. And I hope that it tours one day because there's a lot of love in that room and people felt very changed by it. And it's very far away from just yelling at the universe, which of course is where you're at now with this very record that we're speaking today. And you say it was also written as a play. So I'm guessing, was it, was it published as a play? Not right now, but I'm sure if we pulled a few strings, we could. So it was written by my whole cohort with Claire Christian. It, it's so tender and raw and people, I think people really need to hear it. So stay tuned on that one. We'll see what we can do. Hi, I'm Rishi K. Shirway. And I'm Joshua Molina. We're from the West Wing Weekly, and you're currently listening to Radio Notes. Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, and those in life chat music and more. You can join us on the West Wing Weekly for an episode-by-episode breakdown of the television show The West Wing. Josh was the star of the show, and we give you behind-the-scenes insights and deep dives into the issues raised in the storylines of the show. You can find us on radiotopia.fm or through your favorite podcaster. For now... Back to John Merch and Radio Notes. We're currently chucking, uh, currently chucking, we're currently chatting. <laughs> yep, it's me. <laughs> we're currently chatting with Charlie Oakley. The new album is out. It's called Yelling at the Universe. Describe to us the album launch night. Oh my goodness. It was incredible. I was joined by two supporting acts, Charlotte Derex and Geordie Thomas. And Geordie is my producer and my best friend. And I was also joined by my beautiful friend, Lawrence Hawkins, who has done a lot of the guitars for the album. The launch, I've never felt so much love in a room in my life. I was blown away by the response. Did a couple covers. I did a medley of the songs that brought me up. So it was just like Goal 104.3 Smooth FM, like Crockpot. It was brilliant. And it was funny because I told everyone like my intro to that medley was if you put on gold 104.3 i could sing any song like all the words and as soon as we started i forgot the words to rhiannon so it was (laughs) i I doubled back on my promise there it was beautiful i'm so grateful i think some deborah harry got a run in there as well oh she certainly did yep i've i've never received love like that it was really really special What was the earliest memories of music for you? Well, it's funny. I've got a good story about this. I didn't include it in the medley, but Pink Moon by Nick Drake 
I remember I was in a car on a road trip with my family, maybe when I was 12 or 13, and that song came on and I just started singing all of the words and I said to my mum, I was like, how do I know this? And she said, I played that to you when you were in my stomach. And I was like, what? Like, and she said she'd never really played it after I was born, but I just knew it. So I've always had such a connection to that 70s, 80s, 90s music, jamming out with my dad in the car, very much brought up on like Fleetwood Mac. My dad loves Frank Zappa. I didn't really get around that as much because uh, <laughs> it's quite heavy for a child. But it's been so fundamental to my upbringing, all of it. It's all I listen to, really. Nick Drake was one of those artists that was more respected and honoured after their time. Absolutely. Do you think that's also an important thing about music as a legacy, that the music that you write now, as great as it is, that there's that connection with the audience, with the songs that you've written, but there's also that important thing that it will actually have a legacy after your time? Yeah, even in that medley, I did Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush, and that's had a massive resurgence recently because of Stranger Things on Netflix. And, yeah, and I remember... I was writing that medley with Loz. I was like, oh, I hope my songs do that one day. Like, someone digs it up in 30 years. Be like, do you remember this? Oh, my God. Like, it's incredible. And it's such a testament to how powerful music is in moving people forever. It's a language that we will always understand. And especially songs that have made a resurgence now in times where our political and social climate is a lot more um, kind of unstable seeing songs mean something different or mean something more is super fascinating and yeah I'm very excited to be a part of it one day can we talk about one of the songs that's on the album's called living dying yeah the origins of this song must have been either a light bulb moment or something that was brewing for quite a time which of the two was it how did this come about You know what? It was both. (laughs) That must have been frustrating that you had like the nugget, but you just couldn't shine it. Yes, absolutely. It was, I wrote that during probably the sixth lockdown we had in Melbourne. So, you know, what? it was definitely brewing. It's actually, it sounds like a really angry song, but weirdly, I feel like there's an inverted kind of optimism in it. I wrote this after... I know, the news was freaking me out. Everything was just happening all the time, all at once. And I was feeling really isolated because I wasn't able to go back into the studio yet where I was training because of COVID stuff. And the walls were just closing in a bit at home. My friend sent me this quote by Alan Watts about life is a dance. I can't remember it verbatim, but it was something like life is a dance. Nothing's coming. All you have to do is like dance through life or something where she was like that. And I was like huh, nothing is coming. And I found it to be the most freeing way to approach the next kind of couple months of my life. And I still think about it now. The lyrics of the chorus are nothing's coming, nothing's better, soon doesn't exist, but neither does never. It's a timely response, isn't it? Particularly for those of the younger years that have so much optimism for things they'll do in the future. Yeah. I recently lapsed... um, Yeah, I'll share this. I recently lapsed a five-year plan. I've never been one about five-year plans. I've always been of that view, a bit like what you're saying there. You can't really plan it. Things are going to happen. Do what you need to do now. But I decided to do a five-year plan. The five years lapsed. None of that happened. Think about the 
five-year plan people who did this and then a pandemic hit them. They didn't factor that in. No one can factor that in. Geordie Thomas, he's released a song, Victims of Us, but appears on a tune called Euphoria as well. Producer of this very record of yours, but I Mm -hmm. sense it was more than just calling in a producer to do your record. It absolutely was. Geordie and I have been best friends for a very long time. I met him at school. And it's funny because, like, we weren't friends straight away. We were kind of like acquaintances, like whatever. And I don't know what – we keep trying to figure out when it shifted, but suddenly we're just soulmates, so that's fun. <laughs> that song, Euphoria, is one of the most special things I think I own, if I can own a song, I guess. It's funny because it wasn't originally supposed to be on the album. Another track was taking its place called You Know Me, which I actually might release a bit later because I played it at the launch and everyone was like, where is that song? I want that song. But I wrote Euphoria. I wrote the chorus for it. And I FaceTimed Geordie because I'm in Brisbane and he's in Melbourne. I was like, this is so stupid. Everyone's heard this before. And he was like, no, I'm writing a verse to it. And then the day before the album was supposed to be taken away for mixing and mastering, we recorded it with Loz on the guitars. And it just feels so special. He is a genius and working in his space feels so homely and safe he's like a safety net and as i said a musician in his own right as well though possibly Absolutely. only he can speak for himself in, in terms mm-hmm. of more a producing role at, at this stage well he produces all of his own stuff as well he's just a whiz he does it all and he is writing all of the time and just churning out these absolute bangers that just hit you in the heart space like I'm so excited for the world to hear it. He's releasing some more tunes soon. I won't give anything away, um, but he's definitely one to watch. He did an EP in 20, uh, I'm going to say 19, 2018, 2019, um, which is no longer on Spotify, but I'm sure you can dig it up somewhere. I'll have a look. Um, yeah, have a look. It's called For Later. But yeah, he's got Victim of Us, Strawberry Gum, I Like It, and I'm So Lonely. Have you been airdropping at airports? Yep. I do it at the train station too because I think it's meta-theatrical because it's got – because I'm it's keep your distance where you can. So I'm just airdropping you a COVID safe sign that's already on the train. But now you can just, like, listen to a friendly reminder while you're there. You know what? I only send it to, like, feminine presenting names, though, because I have this irrational fear that I'm just gonna, someone's going to be like, did you just send that to me and, like, have a little altercation? But people have DM'd me being like, did you send me your song? I love it. I just showed it all my friends. Boom. I, done. There's a line there that's not comfortable, but at the yeah. same time, it reminds me that I recently went in music store. On the counter, there was a QR code. I thought, okay, well, obviously need to scan that because we're in those sort of times and I need to scan it because I'm here. It was someone who worked there's latest album. No, it was not. It said, for your own safety, scan my new album. That's, you know what? Times are a change, John. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And they can decline. Honestly, I, I reckon I've, I've had so many declines. So many. But I think I'm just practicing rejection. You know? <laughs> it's not lost on me that you, you're being sexist or uh, genderist. You're being genderist <laughs> and only sending it to feminine appearing people. I know. I'm 
feminine appearing yeah. names at that. But you, yeah, no, you can tell some. Like, I'm not going to send it to iPhone 13. But if someone's like Lucy with like little emojis, I'm like, yeah, you can up a song. All right. Yeah. If we talk about that connection between you, Geordie, and maybe the guitarist as well, mm-hmm. the lightning tattoo. How does that fit in? <gasps> the lightning tattoo. See, I got this lightning tattoo in February on my birthday with Geordie. My best friends, Jesse and Geordie, came up to the Gold Coast and we went to Movie World for my birthday because with those two, actually that's the other thing about Geordie that I'd say brings to our work, just inner child, play, fun, all of the gorgeousness. So we went to Movie World just before it started flooding torrentially and we're on the roller coasters with like torrential rain on us, like, but having the time of our lives. Then we went to get these tattoos. The lightning bolt... For me, I've got it on my finger because there's this quote I love by Brene Brown, which says, when we move information from our heads to our hearts, we use our hands. And I like that idea of creation and energy. That's like my hands do that. And it's a reminder that that, that's where I make my magic and my energy in, you know, in my creation. So Geordie has one too, just because we wanted to, to match. And Loz got a butterfly. We all went to get tattoos together before the launch because we're young and it's so fun. <laughs> but he got a butterfly that has, if you look really closely, there's a bullet in the body of it because Boz, first of all, loves butterflies. There's a lyric in Euphoria about butterflies and his favourite part of production in the whole of the album is in Keep Your Distance Where You Can, where in the pre-chorus, it's like, draw a line in the sand. And then there's like a, and it's like a reverse bullet sound thing. So he got that on there. And I also got <laughs> a little caterpillar playing the saxophone. <laughs> because I thought it was like my debut before I turned into the butterfly. And I like the saxophone. But the tattooist was halfway through tattooing me. And he said, so you play the saxophone? I said, no, (laughs) but it's on my body forever. So cheers to that. So that's Bernie, the caterpillar. No. Haven't gone with Bernie? Mm -mm. It's going to be, someone said a new name for it. Check me a DM. This is how we engage with my new listeners. They can tell me what to name my caterpillar. Just so we're very clear, (laughs) we're naming a caterpillar that plays a saxophone. (laughs) Right. Times are tough right now. We need a bit of respite. <laughs> Any possibility the caterpillar will get some green later on, and I mean in its body colour? Oh, well, you know what? It's playing some musical notes, and I realised that these musical notes don't actually exist. They're like minim quavers, which is non-existent. So I'm going to have to get them filled in, so maybe we can fill the body in green too. We've spoken uh, tattoos. <laughs> we've spoken gratitude. <laughs> We've covered some of those. And we've spoken about post-it notes, which I'm always happy to go back to at any point as well. The Gratitude website, by the way, is Guru Attitude Co. That's guru.attitude.co. So it's a company of attitude that is growling. (laughs) I love that. Yes, that's what we're marketing it as now. What are you doing on that Instagram site? What's the purpose of it? Because as you've mentioned already, there is this thing of – overcompensating happiness absolutely and that's i started it in 2019 i think 2019 september 2019 and it definitely started just as a place to just post some cute photos of like live laugh love very much that 
energy because I was really finding my feet in the gratitude world and I kind of had a warped understanding of what it really was. But it's really evolved now into a place where I encourage young people to feel what they need to feel but also give them the tools that we never had as kids which no one really had in schooling an idea of how to develop like well-being literacy I suppose if you can use that as a term we were never taught how to have hard conversations how to self-soothe how to heal and I think that's really what I'm trying to lean into now and I've definitely especially since moving away from home being quite vulnerable and open about the struggles and the hard days because people need to see that the representation of vulnerability is super super important especially for young people as and when they're on their phones all the time i feel like it's an easy way to get it in front of them but you also admit there has been that change as well as we mentioned earlier i I guess in the older times it was less about self and more about getting done absolutely and now there's more of a self-awareness sort of aspect Mm. to that definitely yeah I think um, I feel like it's okay not to be okay has almost had its time in in our modern vernacular in terms of its meaning and effectiveness and how it resonates with people because people hear that and they go yeah yeah whatever but instead of showing people it's okay not to be okay I think I'd rather reframe that as it is okay to feel you don't have to numb yourself you don't have to push things away and bottle them up because you don't want to be a burden or you don't want to be an inconvenience or you just want, just want to keep going and pretend that everything's fine. It doesn't have to be fine, but how can we nurture that and make those feelings feel as safe as your joy and your love and your peace does? How do you protect yourself from that overfeeling? From overfeeling. Yeah. Yeah just those peaceful practices, the journaling, the meditation, walking, talking to people. I live with two of the most divine people in the world, Beck and Alyssa. They're my housemates. And we were very lucky that when we moved up here to Brisbane, to the engine, that um, we knew each other before, which was beautiful. But we know each other so much more now just because we've been able to have meaningful conversations, be soundboards for each other. And there's so much open communication in terms of, I have space to talk. Would you like to talk about anything? I don't feel like I've got space today. I feel like I'm feeling very like inward and introverted. I'd appreciate this today. That communication, I feel like for young people in particular, feels really hard and unnatural to navigate in terms of like, I'm feeling too much, so I'm just not going to say anything. But being able to sit down and, and just like one sentence, I'm feeling a lot today. I need this. Having those conversations It's self-care. It's protecting yourself and protecting the people around you. Let's talk about another song off the album. This Mm -hmm. one, I think, may be the new single or new feature track, so now's a good time to talk about it. Yeah. Secondary. Mm. That's a track from the album, and it it sits quite high up in the play as well, which really sets the scene for the rest of the album. Mm. Do you mind talking us through that? Absolutely. I wrote that. That was one of the earlier songs I wrote. I wrote it in 2020 and it's been through many iterations. And it's funny because I didn't actually have a person in mind when I was writing it, but just that feeling of feeling like you're second to someone. And I feel like a lot of my songs that have that kind of 
like Independent or Lonely, for example, like both of those songs have a kind of conflict of I'm feeling second or I'm not putting myself first. And the resolve always comes to what if I chose myself? What if I did that first? Because I'll, I'll never be second to myself. Because as much as in secondary it feels like I'm being second to someone else, there's also a betrayal of self that's occurring as well. Because feeling like that feels awful. If no one else was in mind, was there a lot of self-awareness happening at that time of maybe a bit of a disconnect with yourself? Yeah, I think so. And it's funny because a lot of the songs I write, I'm like, there's a self-awareness, but there's also a kind of flow where I think I just need to write this and get it out. I don't know why I'm feeling it, how I'm feeling it, but the words flow and it's there. And so many of the songs I write, like two years ago, I hear now and I go, oh, (laughs) it makes sense. And sometimes, and that's why journaling and stuff is so important because you're writing things, but then they might only make sense a couple months later or years later even as like secondary has been for me because things resonate at different times, but how are they supposed to resonate if you never write them down in the first place? I have an idea of where you're coming from, but I'm going to ask you straight out, Chow. Yeah. What are those musical influences that are part of your ecosystem? Not necessarily for this album, but for you as a songwriter and musician. For me, at the moment, it's definitely Lizzie McAlpine. I love the way she writes. It's so interesting and alternative, but it makes so much sense. I love words that if you just saw them on a piece of paper, you'd be like, I don't really get it. But then hearing it matched with a melody that just, like, interlocks is so satisfying to me. Olivia Dean from the UK is a brilliant, brilliant um, performer. She's more, like, blues, jazzy kind of R&B style. But it's funny because I realised that Keep Your Distance Where You Can always has parallels to one of her songs. One of the lyrics is, if you can't see my mirrors, then I can't see you, which is on the back of trucks. And I, I always look at, I listen to that lyric, I'm like, that's such a cool lyric. And so there must have been something churning in my subconscious that was like, I want a lyric about a sign now. <laughs> so, yeah, and Missy Higgins, I love her. I love her writing and Independent or Lonely on the album um, definitely has a lot of her influence, I think. Piano bar jazz licks on what I guess is an interpretation of the uh, lead single. Mm. Where did that come from? Is that a Geordie thing or is it very much a you thing? That's very much a Geordie thing. Right. He, he killed it. He really enjoys switching up form on songs and he will record like an entire song and be like, let's make it emo now. Like he loves playing with form and I was really impressed and grateful for his contribution to that. But those licks are gorgeous and I find myself like... I love listening to, like, George Benson and, God, who else? Like, all those, like, bluesy kind of 70s soul-inspired, like, Aretha, like, all of it just is so, just melting. It's gorgeous. And I feel really proud that we were able to infuse that into that song. Where to next? The day the album was released, Geordie Loz and I started writing the next one. (laughs) We're We're not mucking around. I feel like I now that I've done this, I'm able to be even more vulnerable and even more um, 
not that I wasn't saying what I wanted to say in this album, because I definitely am, but I feel like there's a new level of maturity and self-awareness that has opened for me, like in this phase of my life as a whole, that I'm so excited to write about. More writing, more playing, more connecting with people. I'm so excited to just go play shows and just help people heal and escape from, well, not even escape. I think creativity has a very, people view the arts as an escape, but I think it's really a returning to what we know is true and here in our heart and soul. And I want to help people return to that as much as they can. As a practitioner of musical theatre, how much is that playing a part of this new material? Heaps. I think story is, it's everything. It's all there is in music and it's why people can reach out to me and talk about the story and talk about the words because I think a lot of musicians in my generation, because, like, production is so accessible and, like, TikTok especially as well, if we get into that melting pot of a situation, people can write and put stuff out everywhere and we have kind of learnt now what this structure of, like, a good poppy American kind of song is. But for people to be able to reach out to me post this release and talk about how much the words mean or how much, like I've received so many direct messages about Garden of Growth in particular, people just saying they're crying happy tears for their little selves and how proud of themselves they are. And that's exactly what I want and hope that people will feel for a long time. We mentioned the musical theatre. That's going great guns for you. What's the production you really want to do? I want to do Waitress by Sarah Bareilles. That show is me. I'm determined. <laughs> I love that show so much. I was actually brought up on a lot of Sarah Bareilles as well, and I sung Love Song at the gig to pay homage to that. But that music is just brilliant. I'm so old. When you said Waitress, I was thinking Kerry Russell's movie, Wait, Felicity. I think it actually is based off of that, though. But there's an... Another show as well called Fun Home, which I was lucky enough to be in the room for in the final kind of callbacks of, and it's about the life of Alison Bechdel, made the Bechdel test. It's about a queer person and her kind of relationship with her family and with herself and her internalised homophobia. It is wonderful. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen, and it was definitely really fundamental in my understanding of my identity as well. Good shows all around. Charlie, before you leave us, I want to talk about that idea of music as medicine. Is music medicine? It absolutely is. I think it is in a world that is so caught up in chaos and fear. Music is, it's our glue. It is what holds our collective conscious together. And it is, I think, a radical act of love and rebellion to say, I will bring love I will bring joy I will bring healing to people it brings our world together and I can't believe I do it for a living it is just brilliant Charlie thanks very much for joining us on Radio Notes thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure Charlie Oakley yelling at the universe the album is out now 
Next time, in the lead up to our chat with Tara McRae, who's performed in Hairspray on Broadway, as well as alongside John Stamos and Nick Jonas, and has a brand new single just about to be released called Waking Up in California, we catch up with the director of the Adelaide production of Rent, Benjamin Mayo McKay, who's also a star in the show. There was one rehearsal last week where we were working on some particularly heavy material which is part and parcel of this show and it does sort of emotionally hang with you a little bit afterwards and you know someone suggested we go to the pub and I was sort of and we did there was a bar down the road and I think we're the only people in there and there was this joying connection within that moment despite having worked through some of the most depressing and you know people cry often in rehearsals in a good cathartic way but I sort of looked around the table at that point and went, the connections here are becoming as strong as the connections within the characters' lives. And that's been really beautiful to watch unfold. And we've got those, watching those connections form, they're just, they're so cute. We've got, Angel and Collins have some of the happiest moments in the show. And we got to block through some of those last night. It fills me with such joy watching those two people and characters just become real in front of me. It's been lovely. And I'm really glad that especially our leads, obviously our ensemble is incredible as well, but our leads develop the connections with each other because we all have to believe that they're a family because they are representing many of the logical and chosen families of ourselves, of the audiences. And, you know, we've got an almost entirely queer cast, which is so important from the queer representation point of view as well. Benjamin Mayo McKay, our guest next time, the director and actor of Rent, an Adelaide production which will be featured this month at the Queen's Theatre. Thanks very much to our feature guest this time round, Charlie Oakley. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. Listener.